0: Hi, this is Olivia Berkman and welcome to Balance Sheet. Say what you will about Gen Z, they now comprise the entire traditional age undergraduate college demographic. This means that employers will do everything they can to better understand this age group. Companies want and need to get inside the minds of Gen Z current and future employees and Gen Z consumers what better place to start than with educators? In this episode, I spoke with Jeff Wilkes and Brian Voigt, both of BYU, about everything from Zoom fatigue to virtual interview skills and what Gen Z is looking for from their future employers. As part of this recorded live Q&A, I also spoke with Robert Haff's Jason Flanders about the biggest trends in recruiting, hiring, and onboarding. There's truly something to learn in these discussions for every generation. I hope you enjoy.
1: Hello, and welcome to FEI's Forward Thinking Series. I'm Chris Wright, a member of FEI and a managing director with Protivity, a global consulting company. Protivity and our parent company, Robert Half, the world's first and largest specialized staffing firm, are longstanding supporters of FEI. We're pleased to sponsor this innovative year long series where you'll get a front row seat to discussions with finance and business leaders across industries as they share how they're addressing key challenges in 2021 and how they're planning for the future. We hope these discussions will provide new perspectives and prompt new ideas. We welcome you to today's session on rethinking, recruiting and career development. I look forward to hearing from Jeff, Brian and Jason as they share insights on how recruitment and career development strategies have evolved for finance and business leaders over the past year and what lies ahead for all finance professionals.
2: With that, I'll turn it back over to Olivia.
0: Thank you, Chris. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Olivia Berkman, managing editor of FEI Daily. Today we are fortunate enough to be joined by three guests, as Chris mentioned. We have Brian Voigt, Jeff Wilkes, and Jason Flanders. Jeff Wilkes is the EY professor and former director of Brigham Young University's School of Accountancy. Brian Voigt is Director SOA Career Services at BYU. And Jason Flanders is the executive director of Robert Half Management Resources. I know you're all familiar with the BYU Marriott School of Business. Their mission is to attract, develop, place, and continue to engage men and women of faith, character, and professional ability who will become outstanding leaders and positively influence a world we wish to improve. And of course, you're all familiar with Robert Half, the world's first and largest specialized staffing firm. And of course, we thank Robert Half and Protivity for sponsoring these sessions. We're going to start this session focusing on the student perspective, and then we'll shift to recruitment and career. So let's start, um, Jeff, this one is, well, we'll start with you, it's for both of you, but how has COVID accelerated changes that perhaps were already happening to the curriculum?
3: Well, that's a great question. Uh, As you know, a lot was changing before COVID even hit, uh, especially in terms of finance and accounting education. Uh, There was a tremendous move, especially related to emerging technologies, where a lot of programs were needing to update uh, what we were teaching our students in terms of technology. So from big data, extracting, transforming, loading data, data analytics and visualization tools, and then robotic process automation, which was just Taking the world by storm, uh, all of those were uh, efforts we were already undertaking before COVID came about, and uh, and were embedded in our curriculum as of last year, even as early as sophomore and junior year. So they were all of that was happening, and then all of a sudden. Covid comes along, and we're doing it remotely. And uh, the students are and faculty are seeing very quickly why it matters so much that we know technologies and that these new technologies that are being developed um, can be applied, you know, in an office wherever you are in the world. Uh, so, I, I wouldn't say that the. The types of technologies changed just all of a sudden because of COVID, but the need to learn it and the awareness that technology is here. I mean, I think a lot of people were somewhat stunned to see that a tool like Zoom at the time. It was already there. It had been there for, you know, a year and a half, two years, I believe, but very few people were using it. And uh, many of many of the emerging tools that are out there, um, I think, were seen or uh, being seen in similar ways. It's like, oh, my goodness, this tool exists. We could be doing this, whether, you know, from robotic process automation, RPA, uh, to analytics, visualization, all of those just became much more present, and uh, we were aware of them better. So I, I think it's great. It certainly moved us faster than... Uh, as, as universities go, moved universities faster than they might've gone otherwise.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I had the same experience where I I was sort of aware of Zoom and then all of a sudden, of course, it was everywhere. And I thought, why weren't we doing this before? And I know we're gonna talk about virtual interviews later on. Yeah, very interesting. Brian, Any anything to add um, to what Jeff shared?
2: The one thing I'd add, Olivia, was, would be that um, st- Uh, students that are really savvy in technology and data analytics are more and more in demand from hiring companies. And so that's a trend that's really accelerated over the past couple of years. I think adaptation of curriculum needs to continue to really meet this demand.
0: Absolutely. And and that kind of leads us to another question that, Brian, maybe we'll start with you. How is the desired skill set changing as you see it?
2: The skill set with students um, is kind of changing in in a couple of different ways. Just from the hiring perspective, uh, virtual interviews are the thing of the day today with COVID. Uh, But really, virtual interviews started before COVID. So they're not the students' favorites, but they've been learning to adapt to them. There's some great resources out there on how to conduct virtual interviews. Um, The students practice ahead of time. Um, with some of these uh, techno- technological platforms and, and resources that they have, um, but some of the skills that they, they still need, particularly in the recruiting aspect, is over Zoom is how to read body language. Right? It's a little bit is a little tougher. What are some of the visual clues that you may be missing being on Zoom and not kind of in present, being present and not distracted by your environment or um, computers, other you know logging onto other pages personal presentation is a little bit tricky and feeling that good pressure and to keep you on your toes by being on a zoom interview and not being in the room, but it can also swing the other way. So you can be nervous about how you feel, how you look on screen. And most of the time there's less of a genuine connection which makes students you know a little anxious about being able to hop on that. Uh, I think some of the other uh, skill sets really um, are, you know, how to work in a virtual environment. A lot of the internships, particularly last year and going into this year well, as well, are virtual. Um, so it doesn't give students sometimes the access to really understand a firm's culture and probably vice versa to, for a firm to really understand, you know, the personality and of a student. And as students go into full-time jobs in a online kind of environment. We're seeing um, that students are having a tougher time onboarding. Again, they don't have that kind of personal connection, someone to greet them at the, at the front door, um, mentor them, show them around, and kind of get them involved in, and engaged in, in the culture of a, of a company. So those are, those are some of the primary skill sets where we're seeing students working to develop.
0: I wonder you brought up reading body language and tell me maybe an example that you've heard if, if one comes to mind of some maybe some body language that students might be accidentally doing or you know what I'm thinking of is playing with your hair for instance or like a nervous tick but then on the other side reading the body language give us some examples of those that that you're hearing about.
2: The greatest one is really kind of eye contact, right? So being able to look at somebody in the eye. So I get questions a lot of time. Do I look at the camera or do I look at the person's eyes? And it kind of depends on how your camera is set up. That's one thing. Another is, as I'm kind of showing on the screen, just, you know, partial body, right? In a live situation, you can kind of see the posture of the person you're speaking with. Maybe read some of the clues that are kind of below the neckline, not in the face. Um, and and those are really hard to, to read on a Zoom interview situation.
0: Yeah, those are great examples. Before we move on, I'm gonna bring up our polling question, our first one here. Have you recruited directly from a college or university since the start of the pandemic? And while we wait for these to come in, Brian, we had talked last time about Zoom fatigue. And that was so interesting to me, just the idea that students were you know, on Zoom so much that the idea of then doing an interview or doing some sort of extracurricular on Zoom just was so exhausting and, and unattractive. So tell me a little bit about Zoom fatigue, Brian, and then we can get into some of the other mental health challenges that you're aware of among students
2: sure so zoom fatigue uh, our students are at BYU they're kind of doing hybrid so they're in class some days of the week but depending on on their class they are on zoom a lot of it they also interact with their their study groups through zoom largely so they they literally kind of live on zoom through through most of the school day then when we have information sessions for recruiting this year at BYU, they're all Zoom as well. There is this fatigue when you get you know you, that you're hopping on now at six or seven at night for a couple of hours of information sessions. and you're just exhausted, right? You're exhausted of kind of keeping that presence up in um, on screen. You might be more easily distracted because you're hungry or or thirsty along with the the Zoom. And there's just been a notable lack of interest of students, you know, wanting to get on to an information session where they kind of have to show up and interact again or kind of be on stage. So we've seen a a huge decline in our participation with virtual information sessions. And a lot of that, according to students, is just they're, they're tired. They just can't do it.
0: Makes a lot of sense. So our polling results here. Have you recruited directly from a college or university since the start of the pandemic? Only 17% said yes. 83% said no. Brian, any reaction to this? Does it surprise you?
2: Yeah, it does surprise me. It does. And it doesn't. Um, I mean, we have seen the fall semester, uh, which when our largest recruiting is, a downturn in the number of firms that recruited on campus, and we're assuming that was largely due to the fact that they didn't, you know, with the pandemic and economic situation, that they were not sure of their staffing needs. Uh, we have seen it pick up in the kind of spring semester starting in January, and certainly in March, we've seen a, a larger increase.
0: So Brian, let's talk a little bit about some of the mental health challenges that you are aware of among students, obviously, anxiety, depression, it's, it's obviously a concern for educators and employers. So talk to me about some of the things that are more prevalent among the
2: students. So, Jeff, I'm going to ask you to jump in here as well. So, as you know, mental health was really challenging before COVID, and schools were putting tremendous resources into helping destigmatize mental health and making it a welcoming environment for students with mental health challenges. We've seen a lot of anxiety, depression, and then you kind of load on to that now. We've got Zoom fatigue, um, and some students don't learn as well through a Zoom environment as they do maybe in person. So that adds some pressure. Um, they're taking tests remotely. That adds some some pressure as, as well. And so we're seeing a real uptick in kind of this anxiety. That said, the students are really amazing at keeping a positive outlook and, uh, and adapting. They're an amazing generation, they're very resilient. But these challenges really aren't going away when students are hired by corporations, right? So the corporations really need to adapt to the needs and demands of particularly new, new employee, mental health and over, overall well-being. And I know a number of corporations really have looked at that well-being as being important for the engagement of their employees. But, you know, just a, a heads up, right? We've got a lot of students that struggle with mental health issues, short-term, long-term. Corporations are going to need to learn how to manage them and, and make them feel uh, included as part of the culture.
3: I'd echo everything that Brian just said. Uh, There were tremendous efforts, uh, I'd say over the last five, even 10 years, at universities to provide more resources, to destigmatize mental health, help people understand what that is. But what COVID did was it revealed the cracks and the seams for people who may have never experienced mental health issues before, we saw many more, uh, in, in, including faculty and staff who were under these newer pressures. So what, what I think has happened is people have become more aware of the resources and they become more empathetic, I think, to, to those who may have previously manifested you know, mental illnesses. They realize now this is all of us to some degree or another. And I think it's made, it, uh, made the environment much more appreciative. And uh, people are much more willing to express, hey, this 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 is what I'm feeling right now. I, my sense, as well, is that companies are also becoming more aware of this because of COVID. And so the the shift from school to working at companies will be more seamless uh, to a degree because of that awareness. So, but COVID has definitely accelerated, I think, our awareness and, and uh, our resources made available for those who are you know are just struggling with mental health issues.
0: More empathy all around. It sounds like. Let's go to our next polling question. Have the skills you look for in a new hire changed since the beginning of the pandemic? 37.1% yes, 62.9% no. Jeff, does that... Did those numbers surprise you? Did you think it would be more yeses maybe? No, I, I think that's
3: a pretty good reflection of, uh, of what I would have expected as well. We talked about changing skill sets before. The, the primary, the big ones, we already knew about technology skill sets. We knew about critical thinking and judgment. All of those were there. And Brian's pointed us to some things that came about because of COVID. So in remote settings, are you paying better attention to body language, listening for cues, being able to show empathy in a setting that's really hard to do that in. They certainly don't replace the need for all of those other skills. Uh, So I I, I think we're still there in terms of the skills we thought were important before with just a little bit more maybe on empathy uh, and uh, communication in remote environments.
0: Let's talk about DE&I as part of the curriculum. Obviously we did talk a lot about COVID and we're going to talk a lot about COVID, but this is as equally important of an area. Jeff, we'll start with you. How has DE and I really changed over the last year from the you know, student and university perspective?
3: Well, a great, great question. We've been working for years in embedding into our curriculum efforts to help people be more inclusive and help people understand and be empathetic. But what happened last year, um, particularly with Black Lives Matter and uh, social unrest um, related to what's happening in the country, What an accelerant Uh, that that made it so much more possible for us to push ourselves and within our curriculum and receive resources from some of the great companies and firms out there to say, you know what, here's here's some things we're doing. We can help with this. So where we had some help in, in previous years, it was almost overwhelming the amount of assistance and ideas and people willing to jump in and say, Let's let's work on this. So for us, in addition to adding it to the curriculum, where we'd already been working to, you know, with PwC's blind spots, for example, and uh, unconscious bias, uh, we were able to turn our focus a little bit more to you know, beyond race and gender and to focus on LGBTQ uh, the community as well as first generation students. Uh, one of the things that changed for us, t- I want to say two or three years ago at BYU, we changed our admissions policy. We used to, it'd be like a checklist. Tell us all the things you did in high school, all the extracurricular activities you did. And in a, in a sweeping uh, change, we recognized that's going to favor a certain type of applicant uh, and uh, and background so we got to essentially got rid of that and focus on essays that allow people to explain uh, what their you know the challenges that they had overcome that they worked part time all the way through high school and uh, we i believe we got close to doubling the number of our first generation college students when we switched that approach which means We have to be more aware now uh, in in our efforts in diversity, equity, and inclusion to take students who may never have seen a college environment before and they don't have necessarily parents, uh, uh, friends who can tell them about it, and we can help them pay much more attention to what we can do to help them get through and be successful as a result. But uh, I would say, you know, it's not COVID related. It's it's the Black Lives Matter and a, so much more of a universal awareness now that's allowed us to be more direct in, in addressing this in the curriculum and applying some of the things that we had started before but can
2: really focus on now. I totally agree with what Jeff just said. I, I do think corporations have a, a great opportunity, though, to kind of reinforce the ENI principles that are being taught on campus um, in the classroom and present themselves as, as themselves engaged in this work um, through either recruiting efforts or sponsored special events. La- last night, Goldman Sachs held a special panel for us at BYU on how to be an ally in the LGBTQ community, right? And so, you know, that was attended by, by students, faculty, staff. Um, and and so I think there's a great opportunity for corporations, again, to kind of really partner with universities in bringing this kind of aware- awareness and, and developing the, the curriculum around that.
0: Brian, this is a question from the audience. Talked earlier about some feelings of isolation and some mental health issues that, that students are experiencing. This is kind of the flip side of it. There are actually employees who would rather work in this environment and are more comfortable working at home with little contact with other employees. Won't this require a reset when things return to normal?
2: Yeah, definitely. We, there are a number of students and employees from my past experience that are, are comfortable working in uh, as individual contributors, right? I would say the preponderance of of students are more social creatures and they they look for that um, opportunity to kind of rub elbows, if you will, with, you know, with their their teammates and be able to walk down the hall and and ask a question and and bounce around some ideas rather than kind of formalized on on Zoom call. But, yeah, so I think there will be have to be a reset. My my guess is that, um, you know, we'll probably we're probably looking at a, a. a mixed or hybrid type of work environment. Um, And some students will have to get used to a a more virtual working environment. I think for students that are really looking at international careers as well, this Zoom thing has really probably helped them. you can contact those who are different time zones or different geographies much more easily and quickly than you can by hopping on a plane and, and being um, present with them. So, I, I, yeah, I think it, it's going to take some real concentration and evaluation by corporation leadership to co- kind of find out what's going to work best for for their employees. And it, it may vary. It may not be one, one size fits all.
0: We talked earlier about DE&I efforts and obviously students are looking for a diverse environment when they begin their careers, you know, certain cultural elements. What are some of the other things you're hearing from students as far as what they're looking for in their jobs and companies?
2: Most of the students want to be really contributing immediately and they want to be a valued part of something meaningful. They're looking for opportunities for individual contribution, for their own skill development, an environment that promotes creativity and that's intellectually challenging is important to them. Uh, Recognition through maybe a meritocracy, balance and a culture where they can comfortably bring their, their whole selves Um, to work is important. So that's kind of around that DE&I area. Uh, Again, balance and flexibility, you know, is important to them. So they can focus not only on their careers, but outside interests and family is, is all really important to students.
3: I I would add to that. The students want to be involved with companies. They have um, a cause that they're they're mission driven, but it's not. I mean, you could say in the past there were a lot of mission driven companies. What's different, I think, now is the mission they want to see is that you're doing something to make the world better. Uh, and there's a lot of different missions that could meet that objective, but it is it is very much on the mind of of this generation of students coming out. Is I want to be involved. I want to feel like we're trying to make the world better. And it doesn't mean necessarily in in, in a social way. They, they want to make sure they're they're serving their communities. They want to you know ser- serve their you know the community that surrounds them. Uh, but I, but I don't mean in any particular political direction. I'm meaning they want to know that they're improving the world and uh, want to align themselves with that, how are we doing that? And maybe your technology is, is bringing great access to the world for something they didn't have before. And they see that as a great way to improve the world. Uh, you know, fill in the blank with what that, that, that technology may be. And I also want to underscore, and, and some Brian just said, but then going back to the previous topic on de we haven't really started this discussion by making the business case for why that matters. Because um, we don't see this as a, uh, a political discussion. It's more, we understand that the more we can hear people's views. And and when I say inclusive, I mean, we're not excluding anyone. We're trying to bring all views in. And there's a lot of discussion about how we do that better today. But as much as we can do that, there's a greater chance we understand better what our customers are looking for. There's a greater chance we consider all possibilities for improving the business. There's, There's a great business case for listening to others. And uh, what we're reporting on is what students are thinking about right now. What, what are they coming out aware of and wanting to see change? I think there's a sense that without being political, they would like to be more aware and empathetic um, to the people around them. Uh, all sides would. Uh, so that's, that's where uh, I see a lot of what students are looking for today. And they're very attracted to those kind of companies.
0: A question from the audience, Jeff, and then um, we're going to move on to Jason. But how do you ensure meritocracy exists free of systemic bias to ensure the workforce becomes more diverse? Wow! <laughs> yeah, that was my reaction too.
3: Yeah, it's. I'll, I'll be the first to admit this is this is a space that still needs a lot of good listening and attention and research. We recently you know, it's it's hard sometimes to tell people that they're biased. You don't want to just come around right and say you're missing something. Instead you try to help them see ways that they might not have seen a perspective that was there for them to see. We did a study uh, recently, is exactly, recently we've done it over four or five years where our students in the accounting program, 260 students, they're all they're always assigned to teams of four or five students. Typically we'd randomly assign them. And we turned that assignment over to a group of researchers who wanted to study the gender composition of our teams. And so they, they randomly assigned, except that they had either one woman in the team or four women out of five on the team. And they studied all year a number of different factors. They would have these groups come in and, and uh, just study the, how they were interacting with each other. But the kind of things that they discovered, you'd think if you had five people on a team, each person would talk roughly 20% of the time. In group discussions. Women would not take their 20% of the time. They would speak much less than that when they were in the minority. And in fact, they only got to 20% when they were in the supermajority, when there were at least four out of five women on the team. Now, before that study, would we have known that? Would we have known, hey, maybe there's you know, there's something we should do to counteract that approach that seems to be, on average, a different way that women interact than men in a setting like that? Well, of course, we could try to have balance, but balance on its own might not be enough when it takes a supermajority to get women you know, to even take their fair share of the talking time, you could say. So I bring that up as a study, and there were many, many other incredible insights from that that study over four or five years. I bring that up as a way to say, When we're trying to understand meritocracy and evaluate performance on an equal basis, you have to be aware of not prejudiced bias. I don't want to mean that, but it's being unaware of differences in behaviors that we could try to help counteract for, or we might be judging an outcome as if everybody had equal opportunity or equal sense of influence going into the setting. I'm I'm, again, first admit lots of questions, still lots of things, but at least we're in an era now where we can ask so many questions and really try to understand these things better uh, while we're trying to get at, Uh, a meritocracy or trying to get at where we give people equal opportunities and judge things uh, well. But I would rather see a great discussion, lots of insights than shutting off discussion, which seems to be happening much more today
0: could not agree more, Jeff. And it's a great answer to a a really great question. Jeff and Brian are going to stay on. So please submit any questions you have for them. And I'll try to get to them later in the session. But now we're going to move to the recruiter perspective, which is sure to be super interesting and helpful. So Jason, welcome. And thanks for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Olivia. And thank you, Jeff and Brian. Great insights
0: yeah, absolutely. Jason, tell us a little bit about the job market today and what does it look like for mid and senior level financial executives We're about a year now into the pandemic?
1: well, it's it's clear that we've been through a lot of change, right? and And certainly the pandemic presented a lot of challenges uh, for working professionals, but also on the personal side in your in your home life as well. You know, maybe we'll just start out focusing on the data. And you know we study the the Bureau of Labor and Statistics very closely to follow trends in the marketplace. And and look, there's some very encouraging signs. There were 379,000 jobs added in February. The unemployment rate continues to, to tick down, currently sitting at, at just north of 6%. But if you kind of go a layer deeper and you think about the degreed worker, the college degreed worker, that unemployment rate is below 4%. So the candidate market, if you will, continues to tighten very rapidly as we recover from the pandemic. And then I always look at a different angle as well and what we call the Jolt Report. And this really talks about openings and labor turnover that many of you may be familiar with. And it, it just gives you a little more insight into the amount of people hired, uh, the job openings that exist out there, the folks who quit, voluntarily quit, and or uh, layoffs or or terminations, et cetera. And it's really interesting. You've got close to 7 million open jobs right now. There were 5.3 million people hired, and this is through January. That's the most recent data we have. This will probably continue to rise, clearly. The voluntary quits were just over 3 million, and then you had just shy of 2 million layoffs or discharges. That just speaks to the rapid amount of change that's occurring as we continue to recover from this. And then we always like to look at skill sets and i think this would interest the audience just in in terms of you think about potential employees or your current staff etc it's under one percent unemployment rate in the budget space that's the lowest number we see so in and around budget planning and analysis there within accounting departments you go a step further if you look at the management level of finance it's 1.6 percent unemployment that's really tight right i think we often hear the 6.2 percent kind of national number, but you've really got to look a layer further when you think accounting and finance. And then it's just under 2% in the compliance space, you know, very, very tight, the technical accounting bookkeeping areas around 4%, but clearly well underneath the national averages. And, you know, just to maybe, to maybe add a little more color into it, we did some polling, we go out we talked to CFOs, 42% of those CFOs said they're actually hiring for new positions right now. About half of CFOs, 50% said they're hiring only for vacated roles or they're bringing back furloughed employees as revenues recover, et cetera. But it's really interesting in that same survey, almost nine out of 10 CFOs told us they're very concerned about losing top accounting talent in the next 12 months because when the market starts to heat up, and things continue to improve, you see a lot of movement within the candidate marketplace leaving for other jobs that are that are becoming more competitive.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. We heard from Jeff and Brian earlier about what they're hearing from students at BYU. And I'm wondering if the job kind of wish list also rings true for you, Jason.
1: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting hearing the comments from Brian and Jeff and they really parlay well in terms of what we're seeing. You know, two things stood out to me in terms of the comments you heard from Brian and Jeff, one was technology. And and maybe I'll just park it there for just a second. And We're really in a digital revolution right now. And, and I believe Jeff mentioned, listen, this was here before the pandemic. I would completely agree with that. I would just argue the pandemic has accelerated so many things and You know, there's so many positives to robust technology platforms. Jeff mentioned robotics, digital transformation in and around the finance function for corporations has really moved rapidly as as we've kind of continued to move through the pandemic and start the recovery. I think as, as companies evaluate potential candidates or they look at college level candidates, such as at BYU, et cetera, the technology skills are becoming so much more important. And I think that's in large part because technology, as good as it is, and as much as it can help you catapult and move your business forward, it's highly disruptive. And it's highly disruptive to, to overall functions within the group until you get that in, to that place of consistency. So the need for strong technology skills, the need for candidates who can really embrace new technologies, quick learners, et cetera, it's really critical there has been 40 billion more emails over the last year than the prior year. So we are in the virtual world. You've gotta be able to execute from a technology perspective. And I think that's that's really, really key. The second thing I heard Jeff and Brian really touch on is culture. You know, you could argue clearly that, that culture fits and the soft skills for potential hires uh, has always been important and will always be important. But it's become very challenging in this virtual world. I believe Brian was talking a good bit about Zoom fatigue. That doesn't just exist on the candidate side, it exists for hiring managers as well with their existing teams. How do you continue to to build the culture within your group? How do you continue to drive uh, excitement around certain initiatives? And so you've gotta be creative there. But I think the culture fit for incoming employees is is important. You've gotta understand how to interview well virtually, as, as Jeff and Brian mentioned but hiring managers have to understand also how to identify those traits virtually to make the right hire. And it's really interesting, many hiring managers would tell you, oftentimes the soft skill sets are more important than the technical aspect. And they say, we can train on the technical piece, we can get them up to speed, but do they fit the culture? Do they fit the team dynamic well? And can they be a really positive influence on that team?
0: I had a conversation not long ago, I I host a podcast, and we talked about hiring for cultural fit. And I, I am curious your perspective on this. Is it always wise to hire for cultural fit? Does that ever have a negative effect on diversifying the, you know, hiring pool and your those that you hire? Does that question make sense?
1: It does. And I think you've got to have a a, kind of a broad viewing of it. You've got to try to balance your priorities in terms of making the right hire. 60% of CFOs tell us today that they have really focused in on diversity and inclusion and have made very much positive improvements in that area uh, within their organizations. But sure, you can always get maybe wrapped up too much into one area. So there's always, you know, the candidate that comes along that would be a tremendous asset to the team from a productivity standpoint and really, really help you drive, maybe it's your month in close process, et cetera. And maybe they aren't as outgoing or uh, don't have those types of skills uh, that maybe you're looking for, but maybe there's a great balance there. And so I think you've got to be, you know, really kind of overarching in your perspective, look at your entire team dynamic, look at your workflow and your goals as an organization and try to make the best decision you can.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Before we jump to our next question, let's do our third polling question. Has your onboarding process changed since the beginning of the pandemic? And I'll give everyone a little bit of time to answer. Jason, it does sound like there's, at least from this conversation, there is a lot of overlap in terms of what students and job seekers are looking for and what employers are offering. So that's good news. Maybe you can start to fill us in on what has changed in the executive recruiting, hiring, onboarding space. We're going to get the polling results on this onboarding question shortly. So what are some of the trends that the audience should be aware of?
1: Yeah, you know, the trends have been really interesting to follow. And again, you know, it's, it's just as difficult in many circumstances for the hiring manager to do the virtual onboarding as it is for the potential candidate. I think everybody has been in a learning mode through this, uh, obviously at a better place today than, than when the the pandemic initially set in, but you know, the executive search piece has changed just given the virtual landscape and using video and kind of all phases of recruiting and hiring, it's very different. And the other big challenge of this, it wasn't like we had a gradual, entry period into this, and we could kind of feel it out and test it. This happened overnight in in many respects for a lot of organizations. I think back to March, and there were so many companies that had to move into a virtual environment literally overnight or within a week. And so it happened very, very quickly, which presented a whole host of challenges. You may not have have met the executive uh, candidate in person because of the pandemic. It's much easier when you can bring them in. You know, really get a feel. Um, they can get a feel for the office space and the culture and the team as well. But you're oftentimes hiring sight unseen, which is, which is really, really challenging. So the ability to hire candidates to lead teams remotely, that is a big, big trend and a, and a focus point for hiring managers. Um, so rather than relocation, perhaps you're managing teams and, and functions remotely. And, you know, as a leader, are you f- flexible? Are you empathetic? You know, this really challenges your communication skills. I think Jeff and Brian both mentioned empathy. I think you might have as well, Olivia. And I think that's a key component to be sensitive to, to different situations. Um, everybody has had to change something through this, and being really empathetic towards those scenarios is critical. You know, in, in terms of just onboarding in, in general, I think back to my earlier point, you need to really prioritize what makes sense based on where you are in your department or your organization and what your goals are. Try not to silo yourself. What might have been 80% of the priority 12, 15 months ago may not have that high of a priority ranking today. And I just think you need to be cognizant of that.
0: Definitely. Let's see our results here. So has your onboarding process changed since the beginning of the pandemic? Seventy seven percent said yes. And we did have a comment from an audience member saying onboarding has changed mainly by using teams meetings to introduce new team members to the organization. So, Jason, I'm sure that's something that you've heard of quite a bit. Any other kind of reactions to this poll question?
1: Yeah, It's not surprising. Most folks have experienced change through this Listen, you've gotta be flexible. You have to to adapt. Uh, I think we're gonna continue to see that, you know, upon re-entry quote unquote to the new normal. It's gonna look and feel different. Your organization's gonna have to identify how your office footprint looks. Will you allow staff to work more in a hybrid model to the earlier point, some individuals will prefer to have a more balanced working environment between home and the office. And I think as employers, as decision makers, again, we have to be empathetic to those situations, still try to do what's best for the business, but really keep in mind the employee along the way.
0: You mentioned the importance of soft skills earlier, and I wanted to ask you about some of the specific skills companies are looking for today we all know how important the technical skills are and then of course the digital technology skills so how about those soft skills what are what do you mean by that when you say soft skills and and what are some of the specifics that you could share with us
1: i put communication at the top Organizations are really looking for individuals that can communicate very effectively, consistently at a high level because that's the environment we're in today. So you can argue you can't just get up and maybe walk over the cubicle as much as you could in the past or you're in the kitchen during work hours and talking about a work initiative. The ability to communicate virtually is critical and it's critical to keep the workflow moving the productivity moving. But the transparency in the communication is key in terms of everybody being on the same page. I mentioned the empathy. I would probably really focus on the ability to provide continual learning as well. I think these technologies are great, but existing employees or future employees are going to have to have access to the ability to upskill. And that's a big piece when we survey senior leaders in the finance space. They're really looking at the upskilling piece. What areas do we need to fill in terms of where we may have had some weaknesses in the past? You know, the pandemic has forced businesses to put kind of their internal controls, their processes under the microscope. And as a result, they've identified a lot of deficiencies where there can be improvements. And I think the ability to communicate effectively, the ability to provide continual learning really plays into that. I would throw creativity in there and innovation. Those are two key components from a, a soft skill perspective. Um, the ability to think outside the box, make recommendations. And then, of course, you just have to go into the, the general soft skills that you traditionally think of. Personality, culture fit. Brian mentioned body language through interviewing and, and things like that. Those are all going to be differentiators. Uh, Along the way, whether you're in the interview process, or whether you're in the onboarding process, or you're in the execution phase with an employee actually working for you. So they're all really, really critical, Olivia, and probably going to be here uh, to stay as we move forward.
0: Jason, what are some ways that people that maybe you're working with, what are some of the ways that they can kind of
1: improve those soft skills? Yeah. Listen, and and everybody um, feels confident in certain areas and other areas you might not feel as confident. So I think access the tools that are available. There is a lot of great information out there that can help in this capacity. We at Robert Half push a lot of information out around this just to help you prepare wherever you're interviewing. But I think self-awareness, uh, you, the ability to kind of be coached and learn is really really critical through this and I think that applies to all of us. I've had to adjust, you know, largely in terms of how we approach our business and our employees through this and I think uh, being very aware of of where you can make improvements is is really really important. But I think practice is probably the best recommendation. You know, you can practice these things. You can get on video, you can use your iPhone. Um, you can have a friend or a loved one help you in these situations and I would just encourage the practice element of it. Uh, in terms of communication, eye contact, all of those items.
0: Yeah, I think the practice thing is huge. And I can't tell you how many times I've zoomed, uh, Zoom called my husband from one floor to the other to practice something <laughs> or just to make sure that I have the technology right. Because that's another thing, right? You, That's another element that we're all dealing with is making sure that our microphones work and our headphones work and we're not going to have any technical glitches. Those are some great points that you made. Question from the audience. What accounts for the high degree of employee turnover in the accounting departments during the pandemic? Jason, is that something that you're seeing? And, and if so, you know, how do you explain it?
1: Well, you know, through the pandemic, really in 2020, really from March through about September, listen, you had companies, I think Jeff may have, may have mentioned this. You were, you were squeezing expenses. um, The revenue lines were, were very tangible. Okay. And as a business, you didn't look the same as you did, uh, you know, prior. And so you had to make adjustments to headcount. Many organizations, Furloughed. Many weren't in a position to even offer that, but they had to, to release employees. Uh, and it was very, very difficult, very difficult for all sides. And we talked to so many clients that, that really struggled through that situation uh, and clearly on the, on the candidate side as well. But that was part of the process through the pandemic in terms of companies trying to figure out how they were going to navigate a significant decline in revenue maintain the critical staff that they needed but hopefully be in a position to bring individuals back and i think that's what we're starting to see now is companies are starting to recover Uh, you've got growth domestic product forecasts that are very encouraging and companies are in a position now where revenues are starting to recover and employees can be brought back that's the focus now as we continue towards the new normal. But through the pandemic, it was difficult. You just didn't have the revenue in many cases to justify the headcount uh, that you had going into the pandemic. And it was a difficult process.
0: Let's go to our fourth polling question Do you plan to transition to in person interviews in 2021? This will be really interesting to see. Jason, any prediction?
1: I wouldn't be surprised to see it split here. But I think as as we continue to move forward, vaccinations continue to gain traction, we're going to see more of this. And I do believe it will probably shift higher back to in-person. And I think most folks prefer to to have the opportunity to meet the individual.
0: Okay, so 73% said yes, they do plan to transition to in-person interviews in 2021. Jason, an audience member asked, what was the term you used for the new type of employee because of the pandemic?
1: Upskill. So you you just think about your existing staff, you think about potential candidates coming into your organization. The ability to upskill is going to be critical because as these technologies continue to emerge and gain traction and the transformation within departments continues to be a, a priority focus area, the ability to adapt and learn those new technologies and upskill your experience levels and the skill sets that you possess is gonna be really critical. Olivia.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Jeff.
1: Yeah, I do see a question
3: that came in, which is along the lines I wanted to ask too. So there's 70% or so said they go back to in-person interviews, but some are indicating there will be a split though. Some of the earlier interviews, the weed out interviews may continue to be virtual. Is, is, mm. is that, does that sound like something most are, you know, I, I think about that from a university perspective, first round interviews being more
1: virtual and then later rounds, maybe in-person. Great question. Yeah, it's a great question, and and I do see it like that, Jeff. I think when you get down to your kind of close to your final stages of the interview process, you may have two, three candidates that you know have a real, real opportunity to join the organization. That's when the requirement to meet in person is really going to be important. But I can see things being virtual maybe upfront, very early in the process, um, as as you you know you haven't gotten as deep into the interview level yet. So. Um, that wouldn't surprise me at all and then of course you're going to have organizations that prefer for it to be in person right out of the gate.
2: Could I just add on to that as as well uh, especially with regard to technology there's a lot of technology out there HireVue being one of them where they actually record some of their early interviews and then the recruiters or hiring managers will look at those later on um, whenever they have a chance and so we're seeing a lot of that happening particularly where students are interviewing outside of the Utah area. It kind of balances uh, ability for hiring managers to navigate time zones and geographical geographic uh, distances. So we're seeing a lot of that. And I think that's going to continue. And a lot of uh, the firms that hire at BYU said they're just going to continue virtual interviews all the way through because it's economically uh, more efficient for them.
0: I appreciate you jumping in there with that question because I think it was a a great one. And unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today. I know there were some questions that we didn't get to, and I'm really sorry about that. But I do want to thank Jason, Jeff, and Brian for their insights. Such an interesting, important discussion. And thank you, audience, for your questions. That I'm going to pass it back over to Michelle.